0: Welcome to Inspire Churches Podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com.
1: Good morning, everybody. So glad that you are able to join us. And we are excited, yes, because uh, we are able to do a live audience with some of our leadership here and it has been um over a year since we've been able to do this and so it's so exciting uh that you guys are here thank you so much this is great to be in god's house together like this um and we cannot wait until we are back at the crown where uh everybody can be there that's gonna be a good time so Uh, We are in the book of Daniel and Daniel is an exilic literature. In in other words, it's part of the book. So there's Daniel and Esther and Ezekiel and Jeremiah um, that talks about the time of exile and how in many ways we're actually still in exile Right. And, and so the question comes up, uh, how do I live the life of a believer in an unbelieving world? How, how do I live as a believer in a society that um, is uh, the, where it's cultural, uh, in, in, uh, where its cultures and its institutions are hostile towards uh, my faith and towards uh, the God that I believe in? And it would seem as though there's really only two ways to live in that kind of society. Either you assimilate or you revolt. But, but God has been showing us through the book of Daniel that there's actually a third way. And that's what we've been really going through this entire series, this third way. Somebody recently gifted me an Apple watch and I love this thing, for, for those of you who don't know, there's this, um, act, it, it kind of tracks your activity and there's these rings. Um, and as you are active, it fills up these rings, right? And I love it because it kind of encourages you throughout the day and, and uh, you know, there's one for like walking and, and all sorts of stuff and, and you know, as, as I'm sitting there studying or do whatever I'm doing, all of a sudden an alarm go off and says, you know, you've completed a ring. And I'm like, I have? Wow, that's great. I mean, I'm healthier than I thought I was, right? And it's great. It's great. And, and I celebrate that it's a small win. Maybe y'all don't think much about it, but for me, when, whenever it says I fulfill that ring, I celebrate that. That's a big win for me. I don't know what I did to complete it. I, I walked around or I stood up when I was supposed to or whatever. But point is, is the ring gets filled and I celebrate those wins. Well, actually you have a win to celebrate. You have a win to celebrate because guess what? If you have followed us through the whole series, you have made it halfway through the book of Daniel. You've made it halfway through. Yeah, that's, that's a reason to celebrate. (laughs) You've made it halfway through the book of Daniel. Now this second half There are some shifts that take place, just so you know. Uh, There's two important shifts. One is uh, in the first half, somebody else would get a dream and Daniel would interpret the dream. But in this half, Daniel gets the dreams and someone else has to interpret them. Also in the first half of Daniel, God proclaimed who he was to the outside world. In the second half, God is proclaiming who he is to his own people. Now, for those of you who are familiar with these texts, um, you are going to be tempted to right away read these texts through the lens of eschatology, right? Because this is usually where we pull out the charts and we start talking about end times and we start drawing lines everywhere, right? And a line over here and an arrow up here and it looks like a, a football play, you know, playbook and, and here, there, you know, and, and it's all of these sort of lines and, and charts and ma- and we map out these the end time now, now I'm not saying um, that it isn't about end times because scholars would agree that this is apocalyptic imagery right that this is eschatological language and it is but they also say it isn't just that and too often we miss the forest for the trees and so JT is about to read chapter 7 where Daniel has a vision And I wonder if we can get the big picture. I wonder if we can see the tapestry that God has woven for us.
0: Daniel chapter 7. Earlier during the first year of King Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, Daniel had a dream and saw visions as he lay in his bed. He wrote down the dream and this is what he saw. In my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning the surface of a great sea with strong winds blowing from every direction. Then four huge beasts came up from out of the water, each from different from the others. The first beast was like a lion with eagle's wings. As I watched, its wings were pulled off and it was left standing with its two hind feet on the ground like a human being, and it was given a human mind. Then I saw a second beast and it looked like a bear. It was rearing up on one side and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth and I heard a voice saying to it, get up, devour the flesh of many people. Then the third of these strange beasts appeared and it looked like a leopard. It had four birds' wings on its back and it had four heads. Great authority was given to this beast. Then in my vision that night I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts, and it had ten horns. As I was looking at the horns, suddenly another small horn appeared among them. Three of the first horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it. This little horn had eyes, like human eyes, and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. I watched as thrones were put in place and the Ancient Ones sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire, and a river of fire was pouring out flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him, many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session and the books were opened. I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. The other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a little while longer. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into His presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey Him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled by all I had seen, and my visions terrified me. So I approached one of those standing beside the throne and I asked him what it all meant. He explained to me like this. These four huge beasts represent four kingdoms that will arise from the earth. But in the end, the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom and they will rule forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, the one so different from the others and so terrifying. It had devoured and crushed its victims with iron teeth and bronze claws, trampling their remains between its feet or beneath its feet. I also asked about the ten horns on the fourth beast's head and the little horn that came up afterward and destroyed three of the other horns. This horn had seemed greater than the others, and it had human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. As I watched, this horn was waging war against God's holy people and was defeating them until the ancient one, the most high came and judged in favor of his holy people. Then the time arrived for the holy people to take over the kingdom. Then he said to me, this fourth beast is the fourth world power that will rule the earth. It will be different from all the others. It will devour the whole world, trampling and crushing everything in its path. Its ten horns are ten kings who will rule that empire, then another king will rise, different from the other ten who will subdue the three of them. He will defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws, and they will be placed under his control for a time, times, and half a time. But then the court will pass judgment, and all his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever, and all rulers will serve and obey him. That was the end of the vision. I, Daniel, was terrified by my thoughts. And my face was pale with fear, but I kept these things to myself.
1: Thank you, JT, for reading chapter seven. As we get ready to mind this chapter, I've titled this message, My Kingdom Come. My Kingdom Come. Now, as you were listening to the vision, you might have said, now, now, wait a second, this sort of actually sounds familiar. Didn't we read about another vision back in chapter two where we saw four different kingdoms rise up and ultimately they'd be destroyed and now we're seeing it again? And you're right. Yes, that's correct. And that's because understanding chapter two will be important to understand chapter seven. In fact, in chapter 7, the first thing Daniel has us do is look back. Because, in cha- because look at this, the very first verse, he says this. He says, earlier, during the first year of King Belshazzar's reign in Babylon. See, up to this point, chapters 1 through 6, the narrative had been one long chronological succession. But now, Daniel wants us to look back. But before we do that, let me just show you where we're going today. Is that all right? Yes. And so th- there's three things that we're going to be journeying through this text that I want you to see. Number one is the meaning of the vision. Number two is the meaning of the rock and the man. And number three is what this means for us. So number one, the meaning of the vision. Number two, the meaning of the rock and the man. And number three, the, what, what this means for us. So number 1, the meaning of the vision. When Israel had to go into Babylon, that the first thing they did was actually settle outside of the city. We we know that they settled by the Kebar canal, which was actually some distance from the city of Babylon. And and in that settlement, um, some leaders rose up um, in that sort of exiled community. Um, and if you want to know what it is that they said, you have to read Jeremiah 28. And, and Hananiah was sort of the leader, the leading prophet, if you will, uh, in that community at that time. And, and this is what they said to, to the exiled community. They said this, they said, don't move into the city of Babylon we see we're we're believers and and that's a a, a wicked and that's a, a pagan city that it's the source of babylonian culture so so have nothing to do with it that that's what they were saying they, they, don't don't move in there don't, don't live there stay out and, and pray against the city because because we as prophets we hear god and and we know that god's going to judge that city and and then we're going to end up back on top Right. The, the 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 cultural power is going to shift back to us and, and God's going to say, so, so don't have anything to do with that city. Stay, stay away from it. Don't move in it. Don't, in fact, pray against it. Well, Jeremiah, the true prophet who was back in Judah, uh, heard about this and wrote them a letter that revealed God's will for exiled people. And this is what the letter said. And it's amazing because it became the blueprint for Daniel's life. And this is why we're reading it. This is what it says. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4 says this. This is what the Lord says to the exiles in Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Wow. Right? I mean, that must have been absolutely astounding to the people that were listening to this, because it seems counterintuitive to what you think God would say right? You would think that Hananiah would be right. Like, no, stay away from that. That's evil. Don't go near it. Don't touch it. Get away from it, right? So separate yourself from that. But God says, no, 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 go in there. Live in there. Have children. Get involved and pray for the city. But not, you're not praying like damnation come and judgment come. No, no, no. Pray for the prosperity of the city. Do you see that? In other words, God's saying, I want you to get the big picture because I want you to realize that I'm the one that carried you to this city, Uh, It was part of my plan for you to lose cultural power. It was part of my plan for for this pagan city to take over and to take you from your homeland and exile you into Babylon. And and, and because it's part of my plan to renew you and to change you and to grow you. That's what God's saying. And God's saying, I refuse to, be, to let you believe that there's only two options, that you either have to assimilate or somehow separate, right? He says, no. He says, I want you to be in trin- I want you to be a part of the Babylonian culture, but without becoming Babylonian. Wow. I want you to be I want you to be I want you to go in there and be a part of the Babylonian culture but without becoming I want you to move in I want you to be part of the unbelieving society but without losing your identity. Wow, wow. Well, how do you do that? Well, by understanding the meaning of the vision. Wow. Good. That's what it means. Good. See, Christians over the years have read this dream and they said, "Oh, oh, oh, oh this is going to tell us about our future." And in a way, of course, it, it does, right? It does. But but what most Christians do is they read the dream. And they say, okay, so you know, in chapter two there's a gold kingdom and there's a bronze kingdom and there's a silver kingdom. You know, and and, and in chapter seven there's this bear and there's this lion and 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 if we can just figure out what, you know where, who where where these kingdoms are and what these kingdoms represent, then, then we can know when God's coming. We can know when Jesus is coming back and so on and so forth. Right? That's usually what they do. But guys, actually, the meaning of the vision. Is so much more obvious than that. So much more obvious than that. Let me tell you something. I love the fact that I have kids. I love it. I love being a dad. and, And here's why I love being a dad. Because I get to sit on the couch and have them go and do stuff. I love that. I love it. I, love, I mean, I cannot think of another reason, right? That's the best thing. You, can you have me that remote? Can you go get me a drink? Can, you know, can you sweep this up? Can you go fold these clothes? Absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. But, but once in a while, because for, for the most part it works, but once in a while it doesn't work. Once in a while I'll say, hey, can you go get something? And they'll come back and they'll be like, I can't find it. And I'm like, well, did you really look? Go look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to go. Then they come back. Nope, dad, don't know where it is. And so now I have to get up. And you have to understand something about me. I don't get up fast for very many things. I don't, if I think my kid is hurt, I'll get up fast. Okay, if, if, uh, if Becca is calling my name, I get up fast. If I hear the ice cream man, I get up fast. Those are about the only things I get up fast for, those three things, right? And so I don't wanna get up if I don't have to get up. But sometimes I'll go and I'll be like, it's right in front of you and I'll tell them if it was a snake, it would have bit you. I got that saying from my grandma. <laughs> right in front of your face, if it was a snake, it would have bit you. See, the, the 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 meaning of this dream, of this vision, is more obvious than oftentimes we think, because in chapter two of Daniel, Daniel got that vision. He said, "Oh, okay, so after seventy years of exile, then you know the kingdoms will be destroyed, and 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 and, and God's going to come, and and He's going to rule the earth, and and we're going to be free." That's what's going to happen. Well, now in chapter seven, 70 years is gone. And they're still in Babylon. And the Messiah has not come. And now what he's seeing is that more evil kingdoms are coming. And this is when Daniel realizes that the narrative is much bigger than just him. God doesn't just plan on saving the Israelites, but the world. The world. Well, how does he plan on doing that? How does he plan on doing that? Well, by the rock and the man. Point two, the rock and the man. See, in both visions, in chapter two and in chapter seven, ultimately these visions both have various rulers and kingdoms that come but fail because something else comes along greater. In chapter two, it was a rock. And in chapter seven, it was someone that looks like the son of man. In chapter two, it's fascinating that it was a rock that takes down these other kingdoms. Because if you remember the vision was these kingdoms were gold and silver and bronze. But then here comes this rock, this rock, which is the least valuable substance in the dream the least valuable. Yet that's the thing that God chooses in the dream to characterize his kingdom. Why? Well, because in the eyes of the world, the kingdom of God is always poor. It's always weak. It's always less valuable. According to the world's definition See, how the world defines what is valuable, what is moral, what is successful, isn't how the kingdom of God defines success. See, if you define success to mean that by the end of your life, you raised your kids in you know, a, a large home or you were able to get them through college, If you define success to be that you accumulate a certain amount of money or you're able to create a brand or scale the corporate ladder, if you do those things and you think, okay, when I do those, and that means that I have succeeded in life because you've made a name for yourself, that's not how the kingdom of God defines success. Because as Christians, we don't need to make a name for ourselves. We already have a name. We've been given the name, the name above all names, Jesus Christ, you see. Because watch this, write this down. Whose voice you value determines your standard of success. Whose voice you value will determine your standard of success. And this is interesting. Interesting. But but the stone, this rock, this pebble in chapter two becomes personified in chapter seven. Notice in chapter seven, what Daniel says. Da- Daniel said, I saw someone like a son of man Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient one and was led into the presence. He was given authority and honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world. So that way people of every race and every nation and every language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Do you see that? Now, this is what's so crazy, because the fact that Daniel uses the phrase son of man here is astonishing. And here's why. Because who is the son of man? Who is it? Well, it's Jesus Christ. Sixty-nine times in the synoptic gospels, Jesus Christ referred to himself as the son of man, You see, in other words, what Jesus was trying to say is every time when he referred to himself as the son of man, he was letting them know, I'm the person in Daniel's vision. In Daniel chapter seven, that's me. That's me. And the reason this is shocking for Daniel to use this language is because in Daniel's day and in Jesus's day, by the way, they had no categories for this. They had no categories for for what would be a crucified Christ or a suffering sacrificial savior. They didn't think of the Messiah in those terms. They saw the Messiah as coming in power and strength, not in weakness, in death. They, They didn't think that way, right? And yet Daniel says, I see someone that looks Not like the son of God, he didn't say that. He could have chosen that phrase and that would have been a fine phrase, right? That would have been, but he didn't, he said the son of man. And what's the son of man doing? Well, he's approaching the ancient of days. He's approaching the ancient days, but what we're seeing is not just the throne room, but we're seeing a courtroom, where the son of man is given authority and he's judging and he's ruling over all things. Now here's where I'm going to mess you up a little bit. Is that okay? Yes. Okay. When does that happen? When does that happen? Let me, let me ask it this way. When did Jesus return to the presence of his father and receive the kingdom that was appointed for him for the completion of his earthly ministry. When did that happen? At his ascension, ascension, right? He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He resurrected. And then the Bible says he ascended to the right hand of the father. See, the right hand means to be equal with. He's at the right hand of the ancient of days. Meaning for Daniel, when Daniel has the vision, this is something to come. But for us, this is something that has already happened and not yet. Mm, This is something that has happened and not yet. John Calvin says this about, about when Christ ascended. He says this about it. He says, Christ was invested with lordship over heaven and earth and solemnly entered into possession of the government committed to him and that he not only entered in possession once and for all but continues in it until he shall come down on judgment day see god's kingdom is present in its beginnings but still future in its fullness it's now and not yet and this has and this has huge implications Listen very carefully to how, what, how Tim Keller describes what, the implication of, of, of a kingdom that is now and not yet. This is what he says. This guards us from under-realized eschatology, meaning expecting no change to happen now. It guards us from expecting no change to happen now. And it guards us from over-realized eschatology, expecting all change to happen now. In this stage, we embrace the reality that while we're not yet what we will be, we're no longer what we used to be. Wow. Wow. The kingdom of God came. But see, when the kingdom of God came, the Bible talks about the kingdom of God coming small and then it grows from the inside out. The Bible compares it to yeast or to a seed. This is why the rock in chapter 2, this rock, this pebble, grows into a mountain and covers the earth. This is why when Jesus teaches us to pray, he says, thy kingdom come. Now, it's already here. So why do we have to pray for it to come? Because it's now, and it's not yet. He said, pray, thy kingdom come. Say that with me. Thy kingdom come. Say it one more time. Thy kingdom come. See, if you read Daniel chapter 7 only as something in the future, and you do not account for Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension as being central, then you've missed this completely. You've missed it. You've missed the meaning of the vision. You've missed the meaning of the rock. You've missed the meaning of the man. The meaning of the vision, the meaning of the rock, the meaning of the man. And finally, so what does this mean for me? What does this mean for you and for me? What does this mean for us? Listen, beloved, everybody is building a kingdom. The question is, whose kingdom are you building? That's the question. Everybody's building a kingdom. I don't care who you are. I don't care your background. I don't care what language you speak. I don't care what color your skin is. Everybody is building a kingdom. I don't care your education level. I don't care anything about that. What tax bracket you fall in. Everybody is building a kingdom. The question is, whose kingdom are you building? Whose kingdom are you dreaming about? Whose kingdom do you have vision for? Let, Let me ask this. When you daydream... What do you daydream about? Fame? Fortune? Being the best at something? Having the most amazing basketball skills? The best athlete? Being a world famous CEO? Maybe you daydream about being the best parent? Having the best certain lifestyle? Or lots of accolades? What, What do you daydream about? Whose kingdom... Do you have vision for? See, are you praying thy kingdom come or are you praying my kingdom come? Listen up, saints. Are you praying thy kingdom come or are you praying my kingdom come? Listen up, chosen ones. Are you praying thy kingdom come or are you praying my kingdom come? See, most of you have dreamed for a kingdom, but it's your kingdom. It's your kingdom. See, every time you do something to be accepted by man more than by God, then you're praying, my kingdom come. Every time you try to make a name for yourself, instead of living in the name that Christ has given you, then you are praying, my kingdom come. Anytime you try to help somebody out or stay in a marriage or have a friendship only because it benefits you, then you're praying, my kingdom come." If you're holding on to forgiveness, then you are praying, my kingdom come. Oh, I don't have anybody to say bad You to that tonight. Listen, if you're demanding your way, then you're praying, my kingdom come. If you're serving at your church, but you won't do certain things because that's beneath you, then you're praying, my kingdom come when you feel like you're spiritually superior and you say, yeah, I need Jesus, but I don't need Jesus as much as that person needs Jesus. My, yeah, I sin, but I don't sin like that person. Sin. Then you're praying, my kingdom come. If you really believe, See, if you really believe this, if you really believe that one day the true King, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to come again. If you really believe that, if you believe that Jesus Christ is going to come and bring judgment and justice and put all things right, it will change the way you live. It will change the way you live. Think about this. Um, If if I were to think to myself, well, there's a possibility that I could die tomorrow, right? Then I'll live one way. But if I say, I know I'm dying tomorrow, then I'm definitely gonna live a different way. See? If you really believe this, it will change the way you live. It'll also change the way that you're able to handle hurt and walk through pain. It'll change it. Because because as long as I know, I don't know about you, but as long as I know that Christ is still on the throne, as long as I know that he is sovereign, as long as I know that, and I believe and I know it to be true, that he's going to come back and all things are going to be made right, then whatever it is I'm going through, then I know that it's going to be okay at the end of the day, when all things are said and done, I know that all things are going to work together for, the, for his glory, for those who are called according to his purpose. I know it. And so when I'm going through something that's difficult and hard, when my heart is broken and crushed, when I feel like I cannot breathe, when I'm stressed, when I'm filled with anxiety, at the end of the day, all I have to do is remember that my king is sitting on the throne. And one day, all of this, all of it, all of it, all of it will be made right. I said all of it would be made right. All of it. It'll change It'll change how you handle miscarriages and it'll change how you handle uh, being let go and it, 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 it just changes how you live and what you go through. Are you praying thy kingdom come or are you praying my kingdom come? The meaning of the vision, the meaning of the rock and the man and what this means for you and me. What this means is that as Christians and as believers, we have to make sure that we ask ourselves periodically throughout the day when certain emotions come up or certain thoughts come in our hearts, we feel a certain kind of way. Well, wait a minute. Am I building my kingdom or am I building his? Do I believe what Daniel 7 is teaching or do I not? And this will change not just how you live within yourself, but how you live in this society of unbelievers. Because he's not calling you to assimilate. He's not calling you to revolt, but he's calling you to be light in darkness. This is the way.